0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Man, I just want to start by saying thank you to everyone that helped with the uh, daddy-daughter dance last night. It was so much fun. And uh, so many of the people in this ministry helped out, uh, made that possible. I know for my daughters, they look forward to it every year. They talk about it uh, nonstop. Um, And they love, my daughters love to get dressed up. They love it. Um, And, uh, you know, Alex was just telling me that, that Genevieve would not take her dress off She loved her dress so much um, that she went to sleep in it. Um, She was urgent not to pee in it last night, so she got up, which is good. That's training in and of itself. So that's something we should consider, yeah, is just leave our kids in their dresses to avoid uh, them peeing their pants. Yeah, the the youngest one still, she still occasionally pees in the bed. Um, But man, isn't that fun? Isn't it fun to dance with your daughter and... And so many of you made that possible, and I love you. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you how, how you serve my family in every way. And I'm grateful for the body of Christ. There's something very unique that we have in one another. And, um, man, we get to experience something. Because we have each other, we get to experience things that we would never otherwise experience. I mean, not only is it wonderful to have Christ as our Savior and to know Him, but uh, what we have to come to understand is that we are just not ourselves without each other. We, we just... You know, when we're talking about finding our identity, we have to know that we will never be who God made us to be without each other. That's a critical, critical mindset. And it's really uh, the trajectory of where we're headed for the remainder of this book is we're going to look to see how our relationship with one another actually impacts the way that we see ourselves and understand ourselves to be. And so I want to start this morning by asking you uh, the question, what does it mean to be like-minded? What does it mean to be like-minded? Um, what, does that, what does that word mean? So God desires, God desires for his people to be on the same page. I mean, the long and the short of it is that God wants his people to be unified and gathered under one banner. When God created the world, um, he, put, he put man in charge of a garden. Right, and the, the word "garden" uh, means like a pleasant place, and so so God creates the world, and then He established this this place called Eden, and so so Eden Eden is a pleasant place with walls, right? Eden is a is a pleasant place. so it's contained space, and then He takes man, He takes Adam and, and, and eventually Eve, and He puts them in the garden, and He asks them to to keep that space. It's it's their responsibility to keep that space now. Now, when Adam and Eve dwelled in the garden, uh, it was under a divine authority. It was under a single mind. It was under, they they were like-minded. God God the Father and Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're dwelling together, and and it's a like-minded space. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone desires the same thing. But that got interrupted, That got subverted the moment that Adam and Eve decided to to sin and take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that that whole thing came apart at the seams. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, it separated man from God and it separated them from from his entire order, the divine order. But when Adam and and Eve did that, 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 that it wasn't just that they were separated from, from, from God and his purpose and his plan but there was no way back. Eden had been barred. Angels guarded the way with fiery swords. There was no way back to his purpose. There was no way back to the divine order. The only way forward was, was toil and work. That's all that they had before them. And that is until Christ came. And through Christ, God has given us collectively the opportunity to take his image back on, to fall back within his divine order. That when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, he's put us back into a pleasant place. He's put us back into an an authority structure and a purpose that allows us to collectively find him and worship him in in an order, in an orderly way. And I love that about knowing God. I love that about his church. That's the good news in in Christ, that he's redeemed us and he's brought us back into fellowship with God, but he's also brought us into fellowship with one another. And he gave us a spirit that binds us together. And as God's image bearers, the church, we have the capacity to reestablish order and singleness of mind within his people. But here's the problem, and this this has always been the problem. Christianity has been affected by the world. We've been affected by the world. We've been been convinced that we can create our own value structure within his order. And so we watch the world and we see them pursuing all the things that they pursue. And and we see them having passions and and gaining wealth and gaining attention and, and having the desires of their heart. And then we try to recreate that within the divine order that God's given us. And so within his authority structure, each and every one of us in our flesh have a tendency to create our own value structure, our own purposes, our own passions that that we think that we can fulfill within his divine structure. And so you have all of these people within the church that are kind of going slightly different directions. They're within the divine order because they know Christ, but from that position, they try to make their own way. And postmodernism tells us that we can a postmodern world with relativism, uh, relativism all around us and plurality of ideas all around us tells us that we can have it our way and God's way at the same time. And it's not true. It's not true. And if we don't have like-mindedness one towards another under the authority of God, we will actually, we will actually create divisions that go way beyond what we can imagine. Our personal agendas threaten the agenda of the local church, which is why Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We're called to consider one another, to prefer one another over ourselves. But listen to me, that is impossible if we don't first have a like mind. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to endeavor for unity by standing on the truth of God's word. Okay, you guys ready? Let's do some work. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. And uh, well, we turn to you. Um, I, I, you know, I've been in your family for quite some time now. And uh, God, I've, I've, I've been a part of this local church for quite some time now. And and year over year, you show me more and more. You you in your gentleness reveal to me the weaknesses of what it looks like to be in family, and, and how we can hurt each other, and uh, and what the dangers are, what the risks are of being in a family. And I've I've watched Lord as lots of people uh, chose to pursue their pursue their own path, uh, to go after strange doctrine, and to walk away from what we have as a family. And, and after all of the years of, of, of hardship and difficult relationships and the disunity that I've seen, uh, Lord, I can honestly say before you that it's been so worth it. And that when I stand in front of this great congregation on Sunday mornings and, and these people uh, that I know love one another, I'm reminded of, of just how worth it it is. And, uh, and so, Lord, I, I call out to you this morning and I say, Lord, please continue to knit this ministry, this fellowship, and this church tighter together, Lord, that we would all be uh, learning to sing from the same page, um, that we would come in greater and greater harmony as it concerns your word, and that even in the areas where, where we have slightly different uh, views and opinions, that we would forbear one another that we might stand on the core uh, of your truth. And uh, Lord, that we would learn as a a people to divide your word rightly and to know you more intimately. And through that, Lord, we would fulfill the great commission that you have for this church. And Lord, that we ourselves would would know ourselves better. We need you, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for what you've given us. Uh, Lord, help us today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's funny how when I'm praying sometimes, I'm, I'm like, I think I know where I'm at. But then when I open my eyes, I've like been transported to another part of the stage. That's scary. Um, let's start by reading Ephesians chapter 4. Let's, let's begin actually in verse 1 where we were at last week. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you, you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Last time we were together, we discussed what it means to live out our identity in Christ by properly fulfilling His calling. Paul beseeches the church in Ephesus to walk worthy of their vocation, of their job, to conduct themselves in a way that is deserving, that meets the qualifications of the job itself. So we learned a few things. Here's a a few things that we learned together last week. The first thing is this, is that the job we're called to do is to be ambassadors of Christ. We are called, as Christians, we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent him here on earth. He's left us here for a mighty work. He's given us a responsibility, and that is to take the gospel to the whole world. We are to represent him and his gospel message to everyone. That's our vocation. We are to represent, represent the truth of Christ. And with that comes great responsibility. That leads us to point two, that every job, every job insists on certain behavioral standards, Right? And that includes the job to follow Jesus, to be his ambassador. And so there's a behavioral standard that God holds us to as we represent him in the world. You can't just act any old way and call yourself Christian. You have to act in a particular way. You have to reflect the character of Jesus Christ himself. You can't just be any old way and represent him. Otherwise, you will represent him poorly. Because who we are and what we say are of equal importance. That's what we learn. Who we are, how we behave, and what we say are of equal importance to one another. If you carry the name of Christ, then it's necessary that you conduct your way uh, yourself in a way that reflects your worth to that responsibility that you've been given. And then we learned, thirdly, that in order to become lowly and meek, to long suffer and to forbear the way that we should in the body of Christ, then we must begin to find our intimacy and friendship with Jesus. If we're going to act like Jesus, we have to know Jesus. We have to take our relationship with him seriously. We have to spend time with him. If you want to change, if you want to change the way that you act, the way that you behave, the way that you speak, that isn't something that you'll be able to do simply by wishing it. That's something that comes by by spending time with Christ himself. Change comes as we're conformed to the image of Christ by being in his presence. And we all, we all know that you become like the people that you spend time with, right? And I think that's particularly true when you're young, isn't it? Like when you're with your, like I remember, um, so I want to, can I tell you a funny story? This is like way off topic, but I feel like we need a story right here. So when I was young, I played basketball. All of my friends were black, okay? All the guys on the team that I, that I hung out with were the black guys, I think part of that was just we had this kindred spirit through basketball, but also a lot of single uh, moms, okay? And so that, that was my mom, single mom, similar lifestyle. So I remember as a young person, uh, there, was a, there was an instance in which I was talking to a, a mutual friend that I'd never met with this other friend, this black friend of mine, and um, When I eventually met them face to face, they were convinced, they were shocked because they were convinced through our conversation that I was black (laughs) because I had learned over time to so emulate the way, the the inflection that my friends spoke with that, that I just, I just sounded like my friends. Okay. It didn't bother me one bit, (laughs) right? Uh, but, but my point is, is that when you're young, you just kind of begin to speak and act and hold yourself in the way that your, that your friends do. And this is why knowing Christ at your age and stage of life is so important because the concrete hasn't yet set. And if you as a young person continue to give your whole life to knowing Christ intimately, pretty soon you are going to sound like him. You are going to talk and, and behave the way that he would talk and behave. That's what we need. We need to spend time with him so that, that, that Jesus rubs off on us. As we closed last week, we encountered this challenge, though, and that is to endeavor for unity, to endeavor for unity of the Spirit. And as we proceed today, Paul is going to take us on a little sidebar in order to explain to us how to safeguard our unity as a church. And so here's the question. Why is endeavoring for unity so important? Why is it so important? Why is it so important to God? Why is it it important to Paul? Um, You may not know it, uh, but local churches all over the world—they're not doing real well. Church isn't—it's not doing well in 2024. Okay, it's just not. Uh, according to Lifeway research, that for every two churches that are started, every every two churches that are planted, three churches close. So we're losing, y'all. You understand? We're losing. Local churches are constantly dividing. Their congregations are constantly dividing. They're they're constantly warring with one another. They're dividing over policy. They're dividing over direction. They're dividing over culture. They're dividing over leadership. They're dividing over politics. And churches all over are full of members who are divided and how they see the Bible and the world. And because of that, churches are failing. They're failing. Not, not long ago, uh, there was a large church here in the area that, that had a series of, of severe splits. And um, in a short period of time, uh, they became a quarter of their original so- size, right? The, the size of the, at, the, at the height of what they were they, they dwindled down to about a quarter of their congregation. And uh, a friend of mine was in leadership at this church, and we went out to lunch, and we sat down, and we were hanging out, and we were talking. And he was just explaining to me all the things that have happened at that church. It was difficult to hear about. And one of the things that he told me in our conversation was that if their church, and this is what he was longing for, he said, if, if their church would have had discipleship, That, that maybe none of this would have happened. Maybe all of those divisions and all those splits would have, would have never come to be. According to my friend, the, the leadership had, over time, as, as the church grew, you know, wide open front door, come on in, let's hang out, it's going to be a good time. The, cheater, the leadership had let the church grow, while at the same time letting congregants come in with whatever beliefs that they have and establish those beliefs secretly within the context of the church. And so you had people that believed all different kinds of things as it regards the nature of the Holy Spirit, uh, the the nature of salvation, how one comes to know Christ, um, the, the obligations and the purposes of the church itself. And so all of these people began to gather together with different views about what God's word says. You know, and he was telling me that that the church was exciting, though. Like the veneer of the church, it was exciting. They had a lot to do. They were busy, uh, lots of activities. Um, And culturally speaking, they loved what they had. But in 2019 and 2020, we know that the world just got more divided than it's ever been. And so when, when when the pandemic took place, uh, when BLM hit, uh, when the Me Too movement hit, when the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast—anybody listen to that? When that hit and landed, all of these things compounded, and the church just just could not help but divide because they weren't like minded. They weren't like minded. So, all of the things that they agreed on, all of the things that brought them together, were superficial. They were incomplete. But what they disagreed on, those things were foundational. And from my friend's perspective, discipleship would have kept their church unified. And I have to agree with him. From my outside assessment, I have to agree. Doctrine matters. What you believe matters. Amos 3.3 says this, Can two walk together except they be agreed? This is Paul's point exactly in our text today. After making his statement about endeavoring to keep the unity, he makes an ancillary statement intended to tell us how we keep unity. He's going to tell us how do we keep unity. And oddly enough, he doesn't make a cultural diagnosis He makes an intellectual diagnosis. He doesn't prescribe them that they they alter their leadership structure. He doesn't admonish them to start new ministries. He doesn't even tell them to pray about it. What he tells us is that what we know and what we agree on conceptually from God's word is actually more important to unity than anything else. More important than culture, more important than style or aesthetics, more important than where we meet at, more important than ethnicity, more important than race, more important than politics, more important than background or experiences. What we believe about what the Bible says will ultimately establish the terms by which we commit ourselves one to another. So here's our key point. The foundation of unity is doctrinal like-mindedness. It's quite simple. The foundation of unity is doctrinal like-mindedness. Now, we know that, that Christ is our chief cornerstone, right? Christ is the cornerstone of the church. The Living Word, capital W, Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. But the foundation of the church Extends beyond the cornerstone into his word. The word that he holds above his own very name. And what he tells us and what we know from God's word is that it's our foundation. It's the foundation by which we build the church. We have to understand that the that, that doctrine, that the truths from God's word are the things, is the thing that binds us together and gives us the capacity to build ourselves out in his purpose. And here's the deal. People may have different views on peripheral matters. That's okay. I get it. You might, you might not think that Adam had a belly button. Okay? You, you might have some, some interesting views about very, very peripheral things, but as it concerns the core things... As it concerns the tradition of our faith, we have to be agreed. It's wonderful to be a part of a church that has so many different cultures in one place, so many different experiences, so many different races and ethnicities, people from all over the world. How do we make it work? How do we make it work? Visit 100 churches on any Sunday morning. You know what holds most churches together? Culture. You got white churches, you got black churches, you got Korean churches, you got Deaf churches, right? Am I right? We we divide culturally. It's a natural thing that we do in our flesh as we divide that way. What holds people that are so different together? The truth of God's word. Agreeing on God's word. It trumps everything, and it's wonderful to be a part of a body of Christ that can both celebrate our differences, which we, all, which we constantly do. I mean, FOI, the, uh, the ministry Friends of Internationals, is devoted to celebrating difference, but coming together in friendship. I mean, how do we even pull off a ministry like that? It's because we ourselves are a model of what Christ can do with a bunch of very different people. When they agree. We can't afford to build our church on anything other than the simple truths of God's word. And mark my words this morning. If the foundation of our doctrine begins to crumble. Then it's only a matter of time. That our fellowship and our unity will dissolve as well. And what we have here will pass away into a monument of its former self we will lose what we have. We have to stay devoted to the work of studying God's word. We have an enemy that wants to see us divided. We have an enemy that that loves to to undermine God's work in his church. But we have the ability to determine, even right now, that we will remain like-minded, and if we pursue like-mindedness around God's word, that we will insulate ourselves from the chaos that Satan desires to sow. And we will be strong, and we will be able to do exploits. Now, so let's look at the things here that Paul tells us that we have to be agreed on. Now, we don't have a ton of time, and I just want to warn you up front that I can't be exhaustive, but I'm going to cover every, every one of these things in a way that's both doctrinal and practical. Okay? So we're going to move through this list of things that Paul has here, and I want you to take, I want you to take very careful note because, because everything that we cover here is both, both requires for you as a, as a member of, of, of Midtown Baptist Temple, but also someone who's visiting here, and you're asking yourselves whether or not this is your church family. I mean, every week we got people come and visit, and, uh, and, they, and they hear the teaching of God's word, and they have to determine for their, themselves whether or not this is something that they want. And I totally respect that. And I'm, I'm excited about the fact that you're working through that. But I, but I want to I make sure you understand that there are certain things that we hold to as a church family that we will not be swayed on. And so as we cover these things today, I want you to ask yourself where you stand in terms of your mental assent. Whether or not you agree. But then whether or not we can see as the body of Christ that you agree in the way that you behave, in the way that you act, in the way that you project your beliefs. Are you with me? Okay. Those, sp- those spring allergies hit, right? They're hitting, right? And so some of you guys are you're acting a little out of it this morning. Right? So you got to shake that off. Shake it off. It's still wintertime. Right. focus in. Let's start here. One body. We are to be one body. We must agree that there is one church, the body of Christ. We must agree to that. The body of Christ is the great assembly of believers throughout all of time. People who put their faith in Christ as their Savior. Past, present, future. 1 Corinthians twelve twelve says, As the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. Okay, so one of the things that we have to figure out right up front is that God has a church both universal and local, but it's one. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We we belong to him. All of the saints, both of old, of present, and of future, we belong to Christ. We are his. And that's really very, very important. Because of all the reasons that I just got done saying, all of the reasons that we divide over politics, over race, over whatever it might be, whatever it is that you pick out and decide to prioritize, that thing has the ability, the potential to divide the very body that Christ bled out and died for. Those things are dangerous to what we do. We are one body in Christ. And so while there may be many local bodies, local churches, the body of Christ is composed of every believer. Inversely, though, Just because someone is a part of the universal body of Christ does not excuse them from belonging to a local assembly. And so it's not good enough for you to say, well, I'm saved and I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, but then spend your whole life being casual about about joining yourself to the church. You come when you feel like it, you know. That's unacceptable. So to be a part of the body of Christ means committing yourself to a local church. That's what that means. The entire New Testament assumes that, that Christians are a part of local churches. I mean, the letter that we're in right now, the letter to the church in Ephesus, assumes the fact that there's a local assembly there in Ephesus where people who call themselves Christians come together and gather to do worship. So you don't get to say, well, I'm, I'm a part of the body of Christ, and I'm part of the universal church, and, and so, you know, Uh, I can be casual about what church I'm a part of and casual in my attendance and and casual with the way that I see the church and how I involve myself. I mean, I'm a busy person. I've got a lot going on. No, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. Being a part of the universal body of, of Christ obligates you to be a part of a local assembly. So the foundational truth that we must agree upon is that those that have trusted in Christ are assembled under his name. And with this in mind, how do we go about measuring whether or not we are unified in this doctrine? How do we measure? What's the proof that you and I are on the same page? Well, the very first thing is this. You gather with the saints. When the saints come together, you gather yourself with them. On Sunday mornings, for our church Tuesday nights, when Bible studies are taking place, you want to be there. You have a desire to be with the saints. Hebrews ten twenty five says this: "Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as he see the day approaching." Look, there is no replacement for gathering with the saints. A podcast is not a replacement for gathering with the saints. A YouTube video of your favorite preacher is not good enough. It does not replace your need to gather with the saints. Going and being a part of some sort of volunteer service in the city, whether it's Christian or not, being a part of FCA, being a part of Navigators, being a part of of crew, these things are not a replacement for assembling yourself with a local body. They're not. And so how do we know that we're agreed about one body? Well, you're here. You're, you're a part of church. When the saints assemble, you gather yourself. You know that it's your responsibility to be there. That's one proof. Another proof is that you love the saints. That you actually love them. 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit... Under unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned means not fake. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to love one another. We get on each other's nerves or whatever it might be. But see, listen to me. That's, that's, the, the thing about that is that so many of us have, an, have a conditional love. Our love is conditional, it's not like Christ. Our love is conditional, and so someone gets on our nerves and then we don't want to be around them. We throw them away. We come to church and it's it's not the experience that we wanted. People weren't as kind to me this week as I wanted them to be. Because we always we have this, this obsession with coming to church and having our needs met, and we're so selfish in our approach to church that we could never be unified. Because you're always looking to get something from someone else. You're not willing to give. And so your love is a conditional love. Now listen, we've been given one another. God gave us to each other. We're a family. And so it's our responsibility to love one another. And if we have a hard time doing it, we need to ask the Lord to teach us how. We have to love one another with a pure heart, not fake. Third, and related to this, that means you minister to the saints. That you're not just coming here to, to be served, but you're coming to serve. You're not, you're not coming here to look to have your, you know, emotional needs met. You're coming here to serve other brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. We know that God loved us because he laid down his life. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We too have that responsibility. If we love one another, we'll lay down our lives for each other. We'll be devoted to serving each other. And so how do I know? How do I know that we're agreed on these things? Because I see you come gather yourself to the saints. I see you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ And I see a desire for you to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we know. One body, one spirit. One true spirit. We must agree that there is one spirit, the third part of the triune God. Every man has a spirit in him that is quickened or made alive by the Holy Ghost at the moment of salvation. Now in Greek culture at this time, when when Paul would have been writing to Ephesus... There would have been many spirits within the pantheon of Greek mythology, both good and evil, lots of spirits. There are spirits in our world today too. Many different spirits that people follow after. And what Paul declares is that that as it regards our faith, there is but one true spirit. Not the spirit of man, not the spirit of the world. Spirit of God. I want to point out that there's at least 12 references in the book of Ephesians to the Holy Spirit. And the question is why? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is integral to Christian living and your personal identity. So the foundational truth that we must agree upon is that the Spirit of God indwells us and unites us together. Now how do I measure that? How do we go about measuring that in one another? What's the proof for that? What's the proof that we're agreed that there is one true spirit that binds us together? And that's, the first thing is this. You glorify God with your, with your body. You glorify God with your body. And what I mean by that is that you behave like you don't belong to yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which ye have of God and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So how do I know that you believe that there's one true spirit? You yield your body to that spirit. You yield yourself to the Holy Ghost. You let God control your life. You don't get to control you. God controls you. You relent control of who you are to the Savior, through the spirit. This is critical. There's so many of us that are stuck in patterns of sin and we fight, and we fight, and we fight. And we wrestle, and we wrestle, and we wrestle. And so many of us think that there's some sort of quick fix or discipline that we need to implement in our lives that's going to somehow make everything right and and cause us to start behaving. Listen to me. Man, in your flesh, mm, no. There's no way. But when you yield yourself to the Spirit of God, when you truly let go of you and take on Christ, Man, the things that he can do in your life are incredible. So you got to glorify God with your body. That means yielding to the spirit of God. Next, you, you, you refuse false spirits. I mean, how, how do we know? How do we know? What's the proof that, that you agree with us that there's one true spirit? That means you refuse false spirits. And there are false spirits in our world all around us. And so to refuse false spirits means you don't listen to every lie that's packaged as a truth that comes your way. Just because someone presents something as true does not mean that it is. Just because someone says something that's convincing does not mean that it's true. In a world where everyone gets to have their own truth, listen to me, there are many false spirits. Maybe more so in our world than any other time. Everybody's got a YouTube channel and an Instagram account where they get to tell the whole world what their truth is. And there are so many of us that are listening to every single person that says something convincing to us, or it tickles our ears, or it makes us feel good about ourselves, allows us to justify some sort of sin in our life. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is one true spirit. And we test every other spirit against what that spirit says in this book. And so this is what the Word of God says. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit. That's pretty straightforward. But try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard, that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Now listen to me. I believe that when I compare this passage with the whole of Scripture, what I find is that any time that we hear someone deny Christ or make Christ out to be different than what the Word says, that is a false spirit. That is a spirit of antichrist. There are so many false religions and false influencers online who say things about Jesus that just aren't true. Because everybody wants a Jesus that, that, that meets their personal needs. Oh, my favorite Jesus is the one that's supportive of, of trans rights. My, my favorite Jesus is the one that s- spends all of his time, oh, not preaching, not teaching the gospel, but helping other people. You know, volunteer work all the volunteer work that Jesus was doing with the Red Cross. and That's my favorite kind of Jesus. Listen to me. People drag the name of Christ through the mud. There are entire religious systems built on a, on a man named Jesus that looks nothing like the Jesus of the Word of God. Oh, my Jesus came and he, um, he ministered to the Native Americans Sometime around the 1400s. That's what the Mormons believe. They also believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan. Same name, different God. So Jesus doesn't get to be whoever you want him to be. He is who he says in his word. And we try the spirits. Spirits. When anytime time someone presents something as true, we try them by lining them up with the word of God. And if it doesn't make the cut, then you don't buy it. So, so we know, we know that we're agreed. If, if we know that we're one body and we agree that there's one true spirit, we also have one hope of your calling, one hope of your calling. In other words, we must agree that there is but one hope, that Christ will return and call his saints home. That's our hope. That's the hope of our calling, and we have to agree on that. We have to have a we have to have a shared hope. We can't all be hoping for different things. Some of us are hoping for a big paycheck, a nice house. Some of us are hoping that 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 we'll, one day we'll get married and they'll have kids and they'll have all the things that we've ever dreamed of. Some of us are hoping for fame, for fortune. There's so many of us hope in many different things, but this is what the Bible teaches us. If, the, we are to be un, if we're gonna be united together as a local body, then our hope needs to be, I can't wait till Christ comes back. I can't wait till he gathers us together in perfection. I, can't, I cannot wait to meet him in the clouds and to spend eternity with him and, and to finally shun this world that's not my home and take up residence where I really belong. Ephesians 1.13 says, "In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. He's coming for us. He's going to redeem what belongs to him. There are many differing views on the, on the return of Christ in the rapture. Midtown Baptist Temple holds to a pre-tribulation rapture. The Christ will return and gather us together before the day of the Lord. In other words, before his judgment, before his judgment comes, before the tribulation comes, he's going to gather us and he's going to deliver us from the wrath that will be. Paul confirms this in his, ver- in his very, very, very clear teaching to the church in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's the rapture. That ye be not so uh, soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. And that man, uh, and that man of sin be revealed, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, ha- he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, so Second 2 Thessalonians 2:1 2, is very clear. There, there are two different things that are happening in this passage. The first is that, the, that Jesus Christ is coming for his saints. The second thing is that he's going he's to bring a day of judgment. Those are two distinct things here. So when it says, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us uh, as, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So the day of Christ is the thing that they fear. But the return of Christ is the thing that will deliver them from the day of Christ. Christ's return and the gathering of his saints is supposed to subdue the fears that they have, that they'll have to go through tribulation. And then he goes on and explains what that day of tribulation will look like, that day of Christ. So why why, why is all of this relevant to our unity? Well, your answer is right here in the passage. The congregation in Thessalonica was troubled at the thought that Christ wasn't returning for them. The church in Ephesus had also been deceived and and, and their hope was robbed away from them because they thought they had, they had missed Christ's return. Many of the churches struggle with this thought. See, our unity is bound by the hope that he's returning for his people. And without this truth, the people of, of, of the church scatter. So here's the, here's the point that I want to make. If we don't have hope that Jesus is coming for us, then what's the point of all of this? Like, what are we doing this for? Like without the hope of our calling, without the the hope that Christ is returning to take us home, man, suddenly it deflates everything that we're doing and it puts us in a really dangerous position that we don't really have any reason to gather. We have to have a hope and a calling. So the foundational truth that we must agree on is our hope is in knowing that Jesus is coming and returning for us. And with this in mind, how do we measure whether or not we're agreed on this? Well, the first thing is this: you watch with expectancy. That's the first way you measure this. The proof and the evidence is that we together watch with expectancy for the return of Jesus. Titus two eleven says this: For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So we have to be, the, the evidence that we're agreed on this is that we're all looking and waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Understood? The other proof, proof the ever, other evidence that we have is that you live with a sense of urgency. In other words, this Christian life is not some sort of casual thing that you do in your spare time. It becomes your life. It, it takes, a, takes on an urgency in your life. It consumes your thoughts. You think about it in bed at night when you go to sleep. You have, a, you have a desire to bring the gospel to your friends and family because you know that Christ could return at any moment. You, you know that the, the, the story of the church age could end at any given moment, and that affects the way that you live, or it should. And so we know that we're agreed together on this, on this doctrine when we watch with expectancy and we live with urgency, Matthew 5.13. Matthew 5.13 i got to move quick here because we, we still got some stuff to cover here. One Lord. We must agree that there is but one Lord. That is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A lot of people, they want the benefits of Christ without his lordship. I think it's important that, that we both recognize that this is a statement, not only that there is one Savior in Jesus, but that he ought to be your Lord. Some people never truly come to Christ because they prefer the idea of salvation to their need for subjection. So they dabble at the Jesus thing. They may pray a prayer that they think is going to get them out of hell, but they never acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. I believe there are many people that are going to hell because they they call themselves Christian, but they've never had a reality of the Lordship of Christ in their life. They've never called on him for repentance. They've never made him their savior. He must be our lo- Lord. And so the foundational truth that we must agree on is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. He's the boss. And for those who, put, uh, who repent and put their faith in Christ, that is a unifying reality. Philippians 2.9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, That's not just some knees. Every knee. That's how unifying God is. That's how unifying Jesus Christ the Lord is. Is that one day, whether you like it or not, your knee will bow. (laughs) I mean, how much better is it for us to voluntarily make Christ our Lord and let that be the unifying force? That we would all voluntarily bow our knee before the Lord and that would be what unifies us. So how do we know that that you agree? How do we measure whether or not you're unified in this doctrine? The first thing is this. You obey the Lord. You obey him. You act like he's Lord. You act like he's your boss. Romans 6.13 says, Neither yield ye your uh, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You need to obey. You're never going to achieve sinless perfection. But it's our desire as followers to make Christ our Lord and yield our members as instruments of righteousness to his will. Next, we'll know. We'll know that you agree with this because your submission to Christ produces submission to others. When you submit to Jesus, you will very naturally begin to submit to other people. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Am I losing you? Is this list too long for you? Was Paul, was Paul too exhaustive here? I don't think so. But this is so important, y'all. And Listen to me. It's important because... Um, because teamwork makes the dream work, and uh, and I and I and I long to see every every person that calls themselves a member of Midtown Baptist Temple to be a to stand under this banner. You understand? To wave this banner and to be a part of what's going on. To be a part of the and make your make your life have some sort of meaning and purpose and, and there's so many of you that have been visiting and you've, and, you've, and you've come and you've visited time and time and time again and you, and you have not yet committed yourself to discipleship and that's really what I'm getting at here I don't want to get to the end of the story and, and I don't want to ruin it for you but listen to me there's too many of you who are, who are coming and visiting week after week there's something about this place that you like the people are nice, the people are friendly I like the preaching, I don't know if that's it that's probably not I like the donuts, I like the coffee, I like the people, it's, it's nice. Uh, you know, you can't like the parking, it can't be that. <laughs> but you just keep coming, and yet, and yet, yet, and yet you don't submit yourself. You don't, you don't actually ever make yourself a part of what's going on. And what I'm asking right now is that as we raise each one of these banners... Each one of these doctrinal truths that you would say, yes, 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 I agree. I want that. Let me, let me throw myself into that work. One faith. We must agree that there is one faith, one doctrinal tradition found within a literal interpretation of God's word. There is one faith, one body of doctrines that the apostles taught and that the saints have upheld and handed down from generation to generation. And while there may be some differences in, in the matter of understanding or in practice, truth is still truth despite, despite our weaknesses. The good news is that the Bible is our source book. And when we go to it and we compare Scripture with Scripture and we rightly divide it, our church will be healthier and more capable to live out the mission of Christ. This, this book right here, this is one faith. This is one faith. This is what tells us how to live, how to believe, and how to practice. And we may get it wrong, and churches may mess it up. This church will mess it up. But this is the banner that we live under. And with this in mind, how do we measure whether or not you are unified in this doctrine? First of all, you receive it. You receive it. When the the word of God is taught, you receive it. There's too many of us that are resisting the truth of God's word. We don't receive it. We hear it, but we don't take it as our very own. We resist it. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. There's too many of us who leave every week, and we make some sort of mental assent in agreement. or Our heart, it, it gets fuzzy for a moment. And we think that we had some sort of spiritual experience in this place and that we leave and our lives are never changed because we didn't actually receive the truth of God's word. That's messed up. We can't live that way. It has to be received. God's word is God's word. And when it's preached and when it's taught and when it's divided in Bible study, you have to say to yourself, something here has got to change. I have to agree with God and disagree with me. There's too many of us who've got our own little value system, our own little structure that we think can function as uh, autonomously of the divine order that God's put in place. Image bearer, get yourself in line and follow the true and narrow path. Everyone's going that way. And when you go to the left or to the right, you're messing up the whole thing. You're messing it up for you and you're messing it up for us. You've got to receive it, then you need to preach it. Romans 10:15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Do you preach it? Do you teach it? Second Timothy two, uh, 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And then do you contend for it? Jude 1:3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You receive it, you preach it, you teach it in discipleship, you disciple other people in it, and you contend for it, you fight for it, you stand for it. You allow yourself to stand in disagreement with the world in order to stand with the Lord. You stand up for it. You proudly take the name of Jesus Christ and his word and you teach it and you don't, you don't care if people agree or disagree. You are unafraid. You are unwavered. You contend for the faith. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're out of time, okay? Here's the deal. We're gonna talk about one baptism next week. We're gonna talk about one God and Father next week. I had a feeling I was gonna run out of time. But the invitation is still the same. I want to invite Harrison up. Everybody, everybody listen, just for a moment, just for a moment longer. Here's the, here's the invitation for you today. Here's the decision that we all need to make Are we going to agree together with God? Are we going to agree together with the Lord? I mean, either this book is divine, or it's not. And if it's not, let's just stop. Let's just stop meeting. Let's just. None of us need to come back here next week. But if this is God's word, then it should really affect who we are and how we see ourselves. And if it's God God's word, we already know that there are certain truths that we together need to stand on. There are foundations to our faith. And there's many of you who've called yourself Christian for a long time and and you don't know the foundations of your faith. You don't know what you ought to believe. No one's ever sat down to teach you specifically the word of God. No one's ever mentored you in the word of God. So the call to you is this, stop hanging out on the outside of this thing called Christianity and lean into the middle and get agreed underneath the banner of one thing. Let's be agreed together in God's word. Come get discipled. Come learn the Bible. Come learn how to divide God's word. Understand it for yourself. And the more we learn of God together, the stronger we'll be. And, and, and the more ready we will be to obey the call of God in our life when that calling comes. I felt so rushed today. I apologize. I hope you heard the Lord through the speed and the jumbled words or whatever. I hope you heard the Lord. Listen to me. You have a responsibility to agree with God and we have a responsibility to be agreed together. And if there's anything affecting our true accordance with one another and with the Lord, we need to get that right right now. If you're holding on to sin, if you're holding on to wickedness, if you're holding on to frustration with another person in this body, Let's get that right. We have to be agreed. We have to be like minded. You know, the Bible talks about being like minded, but also talks about having singleness of heart. And I believe that singleness of heart is a gift that comes to like minded people. And as we go into worship and we sing and cry out to the Lord, and our voices, they come together. They bleed together in worship of God. Let us have singleness of heart. But if you sing and you know that something's not right, then that means that you're not like-minded. There's something, that is, there's something that's off. There's something that's incongruent, and you should deal with it. There'll be counselors up here waiting for you. If you want to talk with someone, pray with someone, grab, grab your friend. But let's be right before the Lord today, and then we'll pick up where we left off last week, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Lord, we ask that you would help us. You'd help us, Lord. Some people in the room today they don't have eyes to see their own sin, and uh, there's people, Lord, in this room that are are blinded by their own intellect, and they're struggling. They're struggling to see the things that your Word teaches. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior and they've been resisting because, well, Jesus just doesn't make sense to me. Lord, I pray that they would begin to let go of that and that they'd understand that there is no truth that they can find. The people have been looking for truth in this world for a real long time. And they just can't find it there. They can't find it in the philosophy of men. They can't find it in the sciences. And people die every day in despair of their eternity because they put their faith in the world. What I pray that today people would see that there is truth in your word and that Jesus Christ truly is the son of God and that he is worth knowing and he is worth making, Lord. Help us. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.